Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by Sadlier's Catechetical Programs, Christ in Us for Kindergarten through 8th Grade, and Cristo en Nosotros, the Spanish bilingual edition for kindergarten through 6th grade. They set the standard for faith formation in today's world. Check them out today at sadlyreligion.com slash CIU and see how their innovative approach is changing the future of catechesis. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Sister Alicia Torres of the Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago, who will be chatting with us about her own journey and the role of Eucharist in it, and as well as the newsletter that she's helping to support and to share out with so many Catholics in light of the Eucharist revival. So without further ado, welcome to Chattachesis, Sister Alicia. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon Matt. It's so great to have you. By the way, listeners, before we got on, we were doing a mic check and, and we, were, we were trying to turn up sister's volume levels. And she says, my mom would just laugh if she heard that you said <laughs> that I'm not very outspoken <laughs> or loud spoken. So I'm excited about this chat. I, I, I've not met sister before. So this is going to be exciting for me as I hope it is for you listeners. So we're going to be very Eucharist focused today. So why don't we begin? And I want to highlight just quick, and it'll be a resource that we link to on our webpage um, to the podcast. And that is the, the article that was in Vatican News titled, The Eucharist is My Strength, the Story of Sister Alicia Torres. Uh, so again, we'll link to that as part of the podcast. Sister, why don't we start? What, tell us a little bit about the role of the Eucharist in your own vocational journey. Oh, for sure. You know, so I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And my earliest memory of the Eucharist is from when I was around seven years old, and I was preparing to receive First Communion. We went to this really tiny chapel that was an outreach of the local parish about 20 miles away. Mm -hmm. And my parents were custodians of the chapel. So what that practically meant was every day, mom walked us to the chapel to check and make sure everything was okay. But we'd also say a prayer. And I remember very distinctly looking at the sanctuary lamp, which was red, so red holder for that candle, and looking at the gold box, the tabernacle, and knowing Jesus was in there and wanting to be close to him. But also knowing there's a statue of Mary and a statue of St. Joseph, and I didn't want them to feel left out. So I would go and talk to Mary and St. Joseph too. But that's my earliest memory of the Eucharist. And, and note, like it has so much to do with my imagination. Oh, like, I love my it. My imagination was captured yes. by the candle and the gold box, which mm-hmm. was now I know the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And my mom told me Jesus is in there. You know, and I believed it not only because she told me that, but something in my heart was touched. Um, Mm. And so I go back to that moment and I realize, you know, for me, my parents gave me this gift of faith. And I honestly and sincerely believe that the development of my faith led me to being open the day that God gave me this invitation, this call to Mm. religious life. Gosh, it's so beautiful. It reminds me, uh, since we're sharing stories, uh, I have six children and I have the youngest are twins, boy, girl, twins. And the boy's name is Pax, P-A-X. And uh, he, every time the bells are rung at the consecration, he shouts out, Jesus is here. And, (laughs) and, you know, like for a four-year-old, it's not just that he has developed this routine 
like a Pavlovian kind of a thing. It's that mom and dad have talked to him about what is going on and whether he gets it all. I mean, let's be really honest, who really gets all of this? We're talking about profound mystery, not comprehension about all things. But he, he shouts it out. And there is a genuine proclamation to that. And I just, how old were you, by the way, when you were a child doing this with your parents? It's um, about seven when I yeah. first realized. Um, I'm telling you, out of the mouths of children, right, come come perfected prayers. What a great story. And um, what a reminder of, of our Lord's call for us to be childlike and what that really means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for that. Let's, let's keep moving on this vocational journey with you. And you talked about receiving this call, and you currently are a sister of uh, the Franciscan Franciscans of the Eucharist of Chicago. Tell us a little bit about that order and their charism. Absolutely. Our community is located on the west side of Chicago in the neighborhood called West Humboldt Park. We were canonically established, officially established as a community in the Catholic Church in 2010 um, by Father Bob Lombardo at the time, who's now Bishop Bob Lombardo, one of our auxiliary bishops here in Chicago. So the Lord has always continued to surprise us along the way, and the Holy Father appointed him an auxiliary bishop in 2020 during COVID. You couldn't even make any of this up. Yeah. You'll have to talk to him one day because if you think I'm a good storyteller, he is just on fire Right. when he shares stories. Um, so it's been quite an adventure. But, you know, many people, Deacon Matt, don't realize when they think about St. Francis of Assisi, what a profoundly Eucharistic saint oh. he actually is. You know, mm-hmm. people think like, oh, cute garden statue, or he really loved animals. <laughs> yeah, and that's he true. He birds, yeah. You know, <laughs> he loved God's creation because he had a profoundly intimate relationship with the creator himself. Mm. And St. Francis actually wrote as a middle-aged or a middle medieval person, a letter to all the clergy of the world, asking them to implement the reforms of Lateran Four. okay? Like many people don't know that about him. And so for us as Franciscans, there is a profound connection to the Eucharist that's integrated in our Franciscan spirituality. And one way that we make that practical is kind of echoing the words of Mother Teresa, another great Eucharistic saint. Mm -hmm. If you can't see Jesus in the Eucharist, you can't see him in the poor. Mm -hmm. And so for us, our life is rooted in prayer, like every Christian life should be in, in a special way for those of us who are consecrated. But We start every day with the mass. We have Eucharistic adoration, holy hours every day. We pray the liturgy of the hours, but from those encounters with Jesus in the Eucharist, in the scripture, then we can go and we can allow him to help us see him in those that we serve and in one another, right? And so it's this journey of seeing with the eyes of Christ, what reality truly is. Um, and that's the new Eucharistic life. And I'm not saying I'm an expert at it, but that's what I desire. And in my religious community, you know, our charism, it, it's it's just to me so delightful that the charism of my religious community is so congruent with the charism of the National Eucharistic Revival. All right. This is this is totally true, listeners. I had no idea that Sister was going to say what she just said. Um, but I've got you just teed this up so perfectly. So the last, first of all, it's beautiful. What a beautiful charism uh, to make a central the Eucharistic vision of creation and to share that vision with others through your apostolic activities. I think it's absolutely tremendous and, and something we desperately need right now, um, not just in the midst of Eucharist revival, but just in the midst of the climate we live in. 
but it's interesting because I've spent the last six months uh, writing and presenting on seeing with the eyes of faith and this developing our sacramental sight mm-hmm. and what and how faith first and foremost is a way of seeing things and seeing God's created order, seeing his plan at work within it. And, and that is the gift of sight that is our faith, um, as much as it is a creed and a morality and, and a way of praying, et cetera. So to hear you say that, just I'm saying this on a personal level, is so affirming. And I just want to thank you. And I just, that's why I put my hands up. Listeners couldn't <laughs> see me. I had my hands in the air going, yeah. So anyway, thank you for that. I don't think you even knew how affirming you were just being, but thank you so much. Thank God. <laughs> that's awesome. Yes, thank God. Absolutely. So so it's kind of a mix then, uh, you're, you're, the life you're living of contemplative and apostolic activity. What are some other sisters doing? Are they, what, what sorts of roles are they playing in the community, in the church? Yeah, in our neighborhood, we have, you know, direct service to the poor. So we live among those whom we serve. We have a major food pantry right now. We've been really meeting the desperate needs of a lot of migrants from Ecuador. We have Mm. at least 50 new families every week. Our food pantry has gone over 400 people, families a week now. So it's, it's kind of a crisis. It's a humanitarian crisis to just get basic needs to these migrants that are coming up from South America. So it's been huge. We have a Bible study for senior citizens every Wednesday. We serve a made-at-home meal for them. One of our sisters leads them through um, a beautiful Bible study um, that she got from Word Among Us. So we're really grateful for that. And then our sisters teach actually in poor Catholic schools. So four of us teach um, part-time religion in four local Catholic schools. So I'm at a school about a mile from here. I teach K through four. Uh, twice a week, which is really exciting. We also help with retreat work. We just hosted a big RCA retreat here. We have a brand new outreach center with 57 beautiful retreat rooms. And our work, we always have a preferential option for the poor. And so we want to make our spaces available to our brothers and sisters who couldn't afford to go to a retreat center somewhere else. Um, we only ask for a free will offering. And then the other side of our retreat work is bringing in service immersion groups. So we'll host several college campuses this spring break. We have college students and seminarians that come to us for internships and for um, pastoral years or pastoral service in the summertime. So we actually have a lot of young adults around. And, you know, we've found that goodness is a path to truth, is a path to God. So many young people come here to do something good. But then they discover Jesus in the Eucharist because we invite them to mass. We invite them to adoration. Um, So serving the poor and opening our heart to loving God's people actually is a path for many to come back to God. Um, So those are just a few of the things that our community does to serve the church and her mission. It's wonderful. So blessed um, that the archdiocese is in the country and the world for what you're doing and we know those graces just pour out and spill out um, on God's creation. I just, I'm, so I'm looking at you. And so we're doing this podcast, by the way, through a Zoom meeting listeners, and we're sister and I are looking at each other on camera. And I have to say, there is a joyful youthfulness about you. So it made me think of the Tridentine right when you approach the altar and we ask God to restore the joy of our youth. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely on your face, uh, this youthful exuberance. Are, what, are there other... Do you have um, other younger vocations in this order or what's that like? What are the demographics like? 
Yeah, I think um, I'm one of the oldest sisters. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> if, that, if that puts it into context, um, although I'm quite a lot older than I look, um, I've been in religious life since 2010 or 2009, actually, yeah, when I yeah. entered. Um, but yeah, we're very blessed to have a young community. We're still very young as a religious family, right? Wow. We're about 12, 13 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and COVID, like for many other communities and dioceses, really, in a sense, disrupted the discernment mm -hmm. and the admittance process. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm very happy to say would ask all of our listeners to pray for. We have a good handful of young women, particularly, who are seriously discerning and um, God willing you know, they, they hopefully would join our community in the coming year or two. Um, so keep praying for vocations. Absolutely. We priests, we need sisters, we need deacons, and we need holy families. <laughs> we do. That's where the vocations come from, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, predominantly. But, you know, I find it interesting just traveling around the country. You see, like, for example, your order or the Sisters of Life or the Nashville Dominicans, and there's a lot of younger vocations. And it's it's no surprise that these younger vocations seem to be drawn to uh, a very unabashed, unadulterated, authentic sort of Catholic experience. And, and, uh, and the Eucharist is right at the center of that. Would, would you agree to that? I believe so. I think, mm -hmm. you know, many young people have the experience of realizing God is calling them within some sort of Eucharistic context. Right. Oftentimes it's a retreat during a Eucharistic moment, whether it be adoration or a time of prayer after mass. Um, and then, you know, moving beyond that, mm -hmm. what we hear and what the studies are saying is that young people are looking for authentic Christian community, mm -hmm. you know, so they're looking for a relationship with God and a relationship with others who hold the same values that they hold. Um, you know, and then from there we go into the world, right. And we proclaim the gospel and we, we share in the mission of Jesus. Absolutely. You know, I just came across the study. Um, it was like a sociological study of religion. And it, its finding was that uh, most people, this isn't the only motivation, but a primary motivation for people converting to a new religion or a new faith community mm -hmm. is the belief that they will find their more meaningful relationships than they currently have. Mm -hmm. So right, right to your point about they're looking for authentic experiences of community. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we can't, I think it's really important for us to be aware of if we are encouraging and accompanying young people that are discerning is what are the desires of their heart. And certainly, you know, the Lord is going to stretch us. We're not going to get everything we want, but those desires reveal truths that are very important for us to attend to as we're working with young people, because they really need support in the discernment process. And it's so funny, you, you mentioned stretching too. Uh, we're recording this at the end of January. We're not too far away from the season of Lent. And that Middle English word, lechten, literally means to stretch oneself. So let's get stretching. Start thinking about your vocations, if you haven't already, and how you might serve the Lord. Sister, you mentioned teaching in the inner city. Um, can you say a little bit about that? And in fact, I'm going to pick up a quote from that Vatican News article. And, and here it is. It says, as you saying, the Eucharist is at the heart of the classroom, the heart of the experience of the children. Can you say a little bit about that? How did, how did you experience the Eucharist at the heart of, of your teaching in the inner city? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's really hard to even know how to start, but I guess I could start this way. This past week, um, for the children, I had a bell ringer. So, you know, an attention getter at the beginning of class. Mm -hmm. And the bell ringer was to draw the most beautiful 
thing or person you've ever seen. And many of the children, including one of my favorite kindergartners, drew a host. And they knew that that is Jesus. And so in the imagination of these children, they have the Eucharist. Um, and I mean, part of that is because I've introduced them to him. Part of that is because we have mass every week in our Catholic school. But I think what it really is, is that their little hearts are so open to encountering him. The most profound experience I have had so far with children in the Eucharist was during COVID when, you know, the Lord put on my heart and this is crazy, but I literally walked the K through eight school through the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. Mm. If you're familiar with the exercises there's toward the end of it, the contemplation to attain the love of God. So like I'm loving God for God's sake, for love of him. Um, We had a profound experience of adoration in kindergarten on Zoom. So we couldn't go out of our classrooms because of the way that the rules were. But I put this live streaming adoration into kindergarten. I prepared them. So we're going to be with Jesus in the Eucharist because we just done the last supper. We were in week three of the spiritual exercises. Um, And I said, you know, if you want, you can sit, you can kneel, but we're going to be very quiet and let him talk to us and and we can talk to him in our hearts. And the moment I put the monstrance live live shot of of the Adoration Chapel in Singapore, by the way, I told them we're going to, we're going to Singapore, Um, Korea, is that Korea? I'm not very good at my geography. But anyway, the moment he went on the screen, they all just knelt down. They were just there on the floor, silent, like all these little five-year-olds. And one of them later on, we had the same experience in first grade. I asked them what it was like. And one of the little boys said, my heart was on fire, you know? And so then we get to the end of the exercises and and they're doing this activity of meditation and drawing. And so many of the children drew Eucharistic images as what they wanted to offer back to God. And I'm like, this is like mind blowing. Wow. Children have such a profound capacity to relate with God, to have a relationship with Jesus. So don't be afraid. This is not rocket science. Just bring them to Jesus. When they have an encounter with him, it will change their little hearts. And even if bad things happen in their lives, it's going to be deep in there. They can go back to it. He can draw them back to that experience, that memory. Um, so the Eucharist is everything. And, and why are we hiding it? And why are we making it complicated? Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. No, that is beautiful. And I, I could listen to that forever and ever. Um, unfortunately, we're at the end of our time for this episode. And by the way, listeners, this is part one of two episodes with Sister Alicia Torres. Uh, in our second episode, we're going to be talking a little bit more about her apostolic apostolic activity, particularly with the Eucharistic revival. So you'll want to stay tuned for that episode. But sister, it's always a tradition on Chattachesis to have the guest offer a prayer for our listeners. So would you be so kind? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Especially, we just thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who you sent into this world to teach us how to live and show us how to love one another who remains with us always in a most powerful way in the Holy Eucharist. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on him, to be attentive to the movements of your spirit in our hearts so that we can be the saints you have created us to be and light a fire in your world for Christ. And we make this prayer in his holy name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sister, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great. (laughs) 
This has been another episode of Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Christo in Nosotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.